Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. Get ready for Mind Shock with Dr. Ron Dalrymple, the premier podcast in the world bringing you hidden truths about your mind's incredible powers. Get ready to free your mind. Welcome to Mind Shock, Dr. Ron Dalrymple. The show will take you to the outer limits of your mind and to the inner limits, the true final frontier. Our theme for this show is evolution of the supermind. Now you will have a much greater mind within which you need to access, discover, access, and begin to utilize and develop. In any case, I began working at NASA at 17 years old, and that was, of course, ancient history. Where we put people in space, and that was the, the big drive in was to conquer space, which we called the final frontier. And of course, there was many scientists from all over the world. We had physicists, mathematicians, engineers from many countries throughout Europe, Western, Eastern Europe, Russia, South America, or North America, Africa, you name it, Asia. We had people that from all over the world, Australia, working on rocket science and engineering, and to figure out how we put people in space. It's time a great idealist. Menace idealism coupled with great pragmatism because we had to find ways to make it work. I mean, how do you launch people into space? It's so complicated. There's so much involved in it, it's just astounding. I was there for two years studying math and physics at Maryland University. In my third year, I started taking, actually, the last part of my second year, I started taking psychology classes. I took several courses, including personality theory, and I was seeing that many of these psychological theories could be explained with math and physics. So at 19, while returning home to my dorm at Maryland one night, coming home from NASA, it's on a Friday night, cold November night in November of 69, and I walked in my dorm and said, well, we could explain the laws of the mind, the theories of mind with math and physics. And then I was hit by a thunderbolt, a tsunami of ideas almost knocked me over that didn't make sense if you could explain the mind as energy, the mind as an energy field that transcends the physical brain, and the true final frontier is inner space. The exploration of the true powers of mind, not outer space, but rather inner space, who we are within. So our mission on this show is to take you to the true outer limits of inner space. So think about that, the outer limits of inner space. Our motto for this show is supermind, superbody, and super spirit, kind of paralleling what the Greeks talked about, body, mind, and spirit. We need to be healthy and balanced in all those dimensions to attain our true ideals and our true heights as human beings. So in today's chaotic world, there's a revolution sweeping the globe about who we are and what we're doing here. A mind revolution is changing everything. Whole new theories of mind that for an old science on its head. Old science, of course, is three-dimensional. You make it four of time. Limited to the physical senses. We're developing new models of science that consider N dimensions as N approaches infinity. Today, we're going to talk about, again, mind games. 
We have a new book out called Mind These People Play. It's on our website, drlinedown2.com. Check it out there if you like. If you follow along, it really has a lot of interesting concepts, I would say, that ties in personality theories and personality disorders and psychological defenses into the concepts of mind games, mind games people play. We've been talking about some of the famous people in history. Mind games they play is a way of giving a background to this whole topic. What you're saying is people throughout history have played all kinds of games, but in a different type of way, trying to conquer the world or be a supreme emperor or whatever. We were talking last time about Alexander the Great and also about Napoleon. So when we left last time, you know, a lot more history about how these people fought and felt and what they did. It's profoundly influenced the world at the time and still has influenced us today because of the model of thought they brought into the world. It has to do with tribal thinking. Humankind still is wrapped into tribal thinking. We think in terms of opposition to other people. We're all enemies of other people. We're all alone on this planet. We're all disconnected. We're all fighting for whatever for ourselves to attain the supremacy of the ego, which we would argue is pure nonsense. The mind games people play are represented very well by various historical events and various figures. Mind games take many forms. In many situations, people play numerous mind games against each other, like the game of chess. I think of not just two-dimensional chess and maybe ten-dimensional chess. You must think it had 20 moves per piece for every dimension. Of course, it becomes impossible for computers to do that, but you get the idea. These folks were really quite brilliant at thinking ahead. Napoleon was a brilliant tactician in war. He was very good at figuring out the opposition and how to combat them. He really was a genius in war. However, he was not so great in politics. Talked about how last time Metternich, who was a supreme politician from Austria, he read his weakness, manipulated him with his vulnerabilities. He saw through Napoleon. He met with Napoleon many times. He saw Napoleon as a very short man, which he was, who was standing on his toes. He walked on his toes or tall. He struggled to suppress his Corsican accent. He was from Corsica, of course. His father had been a part of, apparently part of the royalty in Corsica, but they were very poor compared to the royalty of Europe. So he had a massive inferiority complex, which he was always trying to compensate for. You've heard about people having Napoleon complex, which we were talking about. The narcissistic type personality puts themselves on a pestle and tries so hard to prove themselves against and over other people. In any case, he met with Metternich many times, and Metternich was a really, really brilliant at manipulation. He knew how to play people. He'd sit back and talk to them. And very nodding his head, very understanding, very empathic with him, really drawing Napoleon out. Napoleon would reveal all his inner secrets, thoughts and ideas and so forth. So he's reading him, he's reading him constantly to set him up. Now, as I mentioned, he came from Corsica, Napoleon did, where his father was a lawyer and a political opportunist. He said they were part of the royals there. And of course, the nobility were very poor compared to Europe. But he developed his mind's, mind's eye back then, his feeling, his emotional state, was he wanted to be much greater than he was. He was aspiring to create something much better in his life, but he felt inferior. And so he drove Napoleon, relentless will. He played a battle. He sit for, for weeks or months studying the map, studying maps that is very poor, fully done. He studied for hours a day, all day long, 16, 18 hours a day. He up all night for days studying maps and figuring out what he could do to defeat the enemies, and he won many battles against much superior forces. It was quite brave that the plane became chess in terms of war. So these are incorporating many mind games, of course, and deceiving the enemy, maneuvering, and so forth. But he was blind to Metternich, and Metternich got to him 
by arranging a marriage with him to the daughter of the Austrian emperor, Marie Louise, which he fell for. And he divorced his previous wife, Josephine, and she was known to manipulate him and control him very, very adroitly. She was a master manipulation herself, Josephine. But they finally broke up, and they broke up as friends, more or less. He married Marie Louise, thinking he was joining the building. But of course, they looked down upon him. They did not see him as an equal at all. He thought they did, and Metternich assured him they did, of course. But basically, he was outwitting Napoleon. He was much better at the game than Napoleon was. His modus operandi, again, was to sit there and to pretend to be your friend, put him into what's called a close embrace, maneuver him later, and actually get him out of power. That was the goal. So Metternich was great at this. Napoleon did not know what was going on. I said a general for the ages. And what Metternich realized is that even the most powerful of people remain human and have human weaknesses. This is what people play mind games do. They look for your weaknesses to manipulate you. So Metternich told him emotionally, first off, Napoleon got his sister, Caroline, to get involved romantically with Metternich. He was playing him, but Metternich flipped the tables on him that information to Caroline to give to Napoleon to again maneuver him. And of course he married the Archduchess Marie Louise and that was the, the final manipulation to control him, which he found out later. So in the world of mind games that people play, your real enemy is your opponent's mind. Their armies and resources, their intelligence can all be overcome if you figure out their weakness, their emotional blind spot, but if they look for or you are weak. Or you can be deceived, distracted, manipulated. The terrifying in the world can be beaten by enhancing the mind of its leader. It's just any time. Even the political leaders around the world tend to fall apart, that emotional breakdown, they're pretty much done. And we're all maneuvered into that by opponents. So the best way to find your leader's weaknesses is not through spies, what's called the close embrace. They fought person close, get them open up to you to understand their real inner secrets. They get to know you and your weaknesses. What happened to Napoleon in Russia in 1812, which presages total fall. We talked before about he invaded Russia in June of 1812. He just spent months and months, maybe a full year, studying the maps and organizing the whole thing, preparing for the invasion. There's 650,000 people with him, 150,000 warfighters, the rest were support personnel. He would drive the wagons, take care of the horses, take care of the food and whatnot. He also took with him some grains, some grain uh, granaries, rather, that they could build their own grain production systems in Russia on the road, as it were, because they knew that Russia didn't have what in that way. But they were met by all sorts of disasters. The roads were, were flooded and muddy when he invaded, and they started losing all kinds of people. They were losing over 900 men a day to dysentery, which is a horrible disease, also known as old soldier's disease, one of the diseases they incorporate, letting the field and be on the run and whatnot, like top nutrition, food, water, and great stress. In any case, they're also losing horses. They lost thousands of horses right away. The whole thing was turning into a disaster. They were being attacked. But a Cossacks, first off, in 15, 20, 25 men at a time, would attack them in the middle of the night, set their wagons on fire, shoot a lot of them, feed all their wagons of grain, whatever, buy the horses off. So constant harassment, and often the night, dark. Of course, the French did not. So they're constantly being harassed by that. But also, being attacked psychologically. So, throughout all this, of course, Alexander the First, the Tsar of Russia, had known Napoleon from earlier battles with him and knew how he fought, knew how he maneuvered. And Napoleon hungered for the adventure, he hungered for the combat. 
He hungered for a situation to test himself of superiority on the battlefield. That was his weakness. So, this is the mind game that Tsar played. He simply retreated. He used a scorched earth policy. He withdrew and withdrew and withdrew. Napoleon was driving up the wall. He was losing his forces right and left. Losing his horses as well. They had several battles, and eventually they reached Moscow, finding out that the water pumps had been removed. And the fire, the Russians set fire to their own city, which raged for five days. And he couldn't put it out. The French couldn't because there were no water pumps. Well, for pump handles to uh, access the water system. So they eventually left Moscow and had to basically run as fast as they could get vast territory back to France while they're being harassed by much larger groups of Cossacks. Now there are 500 in them attacking and harassing them. So the vast majority of forces were killed, only 25,000 were back. Actually, unbelievable, 60,000. So Napoleon was really defeated by this, and he lost, of course, grace in the eyes of others. They also wanted a loser, and those who had opposed him before now turned against them and formed a coalition after 1812. So the War of Six Coalition, all these different forces got together, fought Napoleon, and the French forces were defeated in the Battle of Leipzig. That was fought in October 1813, Leipzig, Saxony. The coalition forces of Austria, Prussia, Sweden, and Russia were led by various people who had opposed him before and finally defeated him. That this coalition vowed to rid Paris Napoleon. He, he didn't sign a, uh, an agreement to step down from the throne on April 6, 1814. And Louis, King Louis XVIII would replace him. Now, many of these kings of France, of course, really hated Mary's stories of Maria Antoinette and whatnot, except for the French Revolution in 1789. That's where Napoleon first rose to power, was in the French Revolution. He was promoted rapidly through the ranks. In any case, King Louis XVIII took over, and Napoleon was exiled to Elba small island off the coast of Tuscany, Italy, which is a very small nation. He's only there for over nine months. He signs abdication at the Palace of Fontainebleau. Now, you can go to Paris and visit that, south of Paris, beautiful place, built by his Bourbon family, showing a massive wealth at the time, while the people of course starved. But he signed this treaty with these powerful nations. Some say he tried to commit suicide before signing the treaty. Now, it's true, nobody knows, it's been debated. Some say it's not true, it's made up by his enemies. In any case, he was allowed to retain his title of emperor and was then given sovereignty over Elba, a small nation. Now, his wife, Marie Louise, was given the duchies of various uh, estates and whatnot. He given some wealth, but they were promised two million francs a year by King Louis XVIII, who, of course, would not pay them. It wasn't about to pay Napoleon to empower him further. Napoleon got there and being somewhat obsessive compulsive and narcissistic. Well, he was trying to compensate. He bid himself to try to build his miniature kingdom into something, so... It's only 60 miles in circumference, so a very, very small little nation, population 12,000, created a new palace and designed a new flag and reorganized the roads and whatnot, and fortifications, and issued directives, you know, one or the other to show his power and whatnot. In any case, when the money problems very quickly, we wouldn't pay him anything. He'd be more and more frustrated, and they were basically starving at very, very little. But on February 26, 1815, he managed to sneak past the guards and escaped Elba, got into a ship, and they, they got past a British ship, which you know, might have sunk them. In case, he escaped to France, to Cannes. That's on southern France, on the Mediterranean. Go there now to the Cannes Film Festival, which is in May of every year. Very interesting, beautiful town on the, on the uh, water there. In any case, he wagered if he ever escaped Elba, returned to France, he'd be treated as a hero. He'd get back his, his former title of emperor or whatnot, or the emperor of uh, Europe, as he called himself before, self-nominated. But in any case, he got back to, to France. He started marching through France. 
And some people tried to oppose him, but British groups approached him to oppose him, stop him, but then gave in and joined his forces. So Louis XVIII basically set this up by his blunders. He's playing mind games, coming this way and give nothing to Napoleon, but instead, infuriated Napoleon, he decided to take back his kingdom. So by cheating him out of the money, he set Napoleon off on this new drive for power. Napoleon felt he had no choice, he returned to Europe, reclaimed his, his kingdom. So there's very little opposition when he first landed at Caen. He didn't march north, he had with him about 100 soldiers, and he was opposed by a battalion initially who told him to stop, and he marched towards him famously and tore off his, his shirt. He said, let him that has the heart kill the emperor. And upon seeing this, the soldiers stood under arms, tears in their eyes, and shouted, vive l'emperor, long live the emperor. So by his great show of courage here and strength, he said, if you want to kill me, kill me. You have the heart to do this. Of course, they didn't. They didn't join him. And the battalion, I'm sorry, the battalion didn't join Napoleon. They, they marched north. A few days later, they got to uh, Grenoble, another city, where the same, thing, same type of thing happened. The first two troops were reluctant, and he won them over. Eventually, they're all screaming, Vive l'Emperor. So they joined him and they marched north. He continued to march forth and whatnot. At one point, he came to another city where the head of the city would not open the gates. So they blew it open, grape shots, which is a type of cannon fire. And he marched in, and all the people, the whole soldiers inside joined him. So he's growing this, building this growing army, marching towards Paris. They found very little opposition. He went to Lyon, France, which is a very famous city. They there for four days, and allegedly there were some 20,000 people at his window the whole time, going to Napoleon. They really loved him. He was a very narcissistic guy. He had tremendous charisma. He had powerful charisma and energy. When people, once they met him or they were around him, they were swayed over and would join him. So it comes from a very powerful belief in himself. They really loved himself. Other people would also love him. He also had great courage. He was a great leader to say, in combat, but again, not in politics. In case they all marched underneath the old flag he had, or as the emperor, you know, March of 19th, they arrived at Fontainebleau, which is a great palace here, which is where royalty often stays. That's where he had also abdicated, abdicated his throne before he committed, and supposedly tried to commit suicide. We entered in the same time, Louis XVIII left the palace of two years in a different palace and basically ran. So he returned to power in March of 1815 to find himself the emperor again. And he states that opposed him, what was now called the Seventh Coalition, we got various armies in a Wellington, the Duke of Wellington, famous guy, and Blucher's army, who was a Prussian, to fight against Napoleon, try to stop him. On the 16th of June, he attacked successfully the Prussian army at the Battle of Ligny, and in case they won that. And the Battle of Waterloo came a couple days later on Sunday, 18th of June, 1850. This is a very famous battle, Waterloo in Belgium, which is in part of the 19th of the Netherlands at the time. In any case, there was a British-led coalition underneath Wellington, Duke Wellington, and also Blucher from the Prussians, and eventually they did defeat Napoleon. There was a battle rage back and forth, back and forth. Napoleon was eventually defeated. So at that time, of course, his entire kingdom fell apart, just like the final defeat. So he's repulsed in this long battle. He's decisive battle for the end to his, his career as the emperor. So he advocated again later on, and the coalition forces entered Paris on 7 July. In any case, defeat at Waterloo ended his career as the emperor of the French. Mind he's going back and forth, manipulation, deceit, and whatnot. And notice that Waterloo occurred on a Sunday. Other mind games being played, which are not well known, is that after Sunday the battle was ended, on Monday on London Stock Exchange, rumors were spread 
and the point had won at Waterloo. Now, this, of course, terrified many people in Britain. In exchange, they thought that the economies of Europe would collapse as a result of this. So people started selling stocks like crazy. There's one on the market. They started dumping stocks like crazy. And various agents of international bankers who were behind this were buying up the stock at bargain basement prices. So in one day, this one family increased their gains by 8,600 times over. That means $1 million was turned into $8.6 billion. Think about that. In one day, one run in the market, they turned $1 billion to $8.6 They probably turned about $10, $20, $30 million, and many billions. So really increasing their control over the market and over England. So military and politics are parallel. So thinking of mind games there, so why was Fred pulling in one? So this invoked fear and terror in the minds of the investors. They know that fear rules the market. They're dumping their politics, their stocks as fast as they could. So see parallels here in military and politics are quite interesting. It's amazing to see what some of these guys can get away with, but they have gotten away with over, over time. So in any case, folks, talking today about mind games people play. It's a book about the mind games that go on in the social world, politics, military, the world in general, which have gone on since time began. We're going to talk later on about ways to get beyond this, the state of mind games, where the rule has to evolve to get, get past this very dangerous time in history. In any case, folks, Dr. Rod Darump on Mind Shock. Take a short break for our sponsors. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity, things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything, and once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. ASMC, the premier German company that supplies everything for adventure, from outdoor clothes to outdoor gear, even backpacks, lots of quality, and lots of specials. To start your adventure, go to HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on ASMC. Paradise Found 2015 is a film that sparks of intrigue about the discovery of quantum field psychology. Throwing a sexy spy story, a conflict between father and son against the backdrop of NASA, and interspersed with World War II flashback combat scenes, and you'll be surprised to discover the foundation of a whole new theory of mind. Rent or buy Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com and prepare for the explosive conclusion. That's Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com. Reach your health and fitness goals. Whether you want to lose weight, learn to dance, build muscle, or just live healthy, Beachbody gives you unlimited access to the nation's most popular fitness and weight loss solutions. Visit our advertiser page and click on Beachbody now. A complete mind development course, The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, helps you develop your concentration, memory, imagination, and more, all to help you program your mind towards success. But it's not a boring read. You are taken on a journey with a young man who is trying to start his own business and immerses himself into a journey of self-discovery. A powerful book that you can read again and again. Get The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple at Amazon.com. 
the inner manager at Amazon.com. Remember Positive Impacts, www.healthylife.net. Welcome back, Dr. Ron Dunham on Mind Shock. They were talking about mind games people play. Really, kind of my favorite subject of mine that journey's going on since I was a kid. Really, I think I was five years old when I first saw people playing mind games, being sequel about things. I tell the truth. I was wondering why are adults lying? What are they doing? That's not true. That's all that happened. They're making things up. So I guess as a very young psychologist and I, pre psychologist, we're thinking about what was really going on with human behavior. In the case we're talking today about. In a great event in history where mind games were played, which decided various pathways in history and helped shape, in fact, the world as we see it today. In any case, after Napoleon was defeated, many people in Europe were trying to organize a world government. This is the first attempt at one world government. In earlier form, we're hearing today about the New World Order. Now, the Congress of Vienna had been started in 1814, ran until June of 1815. It was parallel to the return and attempted rise again of Napoleon. And Napoleon was trying to create his own empire out of Europe. And at that time, he was backed by very powerful international banking forces of the day, which then turned against them after Russia. It was a disaster, and they decided to remove him from power. But they then backed the other nations who fought against him in the various coalitions. In any case, guess who was trying to set up the Congress of Vienna? Our old friend, the Austrian statesman, von Metternich, the same guy who had played Napoleon for a fool earlier to get him out of office. They set him up into a close embrace to manipulate and control him. From Metternich, made him think that we're pals, we're friends. Napoleon later leaned upon that, went to Metternich for help, and trying to put back together his, his kingdom, as it were, after various defeats. So Metternich, of course, turned against him and said, you must give up your kingdom. We're going to turn the, the boundaries of France back to where they originally were. You're out of power. You accept it or not. If you don't accept it, we'll destroy you. Well, he didn't accept it. He went to fuck him again. They defeated him again. And then it was the guy who basically removed him from power. He's the guy who manipulated him behind the scenes. Now we find him organized in the Congress of Vienna. Again, he's backed by a very powerful national banking interests who are trying to create their new one world government. But the objective of the Congress, supposedly, is to provide a long term peace plan for Europe by selling critical issues arising from the French Revolution. That really is not true. It really was an attempt at one world government to put the various bankers in control of the entire European system, quite frankly, for greed and power. He talked about mind games. These manipulations are done at a very high level. The media sells the ideas to the public. The politicians sell the ideas to the public. The various organizations are created to try to fulfill these intentions. In any case, the Congress' final act was signed nine days before Napoleon's final defeat at Waterloo. They were really concurrent events. So they're trying to push this through. So this wasn't really a Congress where they all met together, but there were some face-to-face sessions on the great powers of Austria, Britain, France, Russia, and at times Prussia. These nations of the world were trying to create this early form of new world order. So supposedly this Congress of Vienna set the framework for the politics of Europe until the first uh, the outbreak of the First World War in 1914, which also was highly manipulated. A lot went into that, the creation of that war, which might get into some other time. It's told in a book called Merchants of Death, published in 1934 by Engelbrecht and Hennigan, if you want to read that. It's a really classic book about who really can create wars behind the scenes. 
not enough rising to people. It's nonsense. In case the one-world government attempt was scuttled by the Romanov families in Russia. Now, think about this. Romanov family had been in power for over a thousand years. They were loved by the Russian people. Because they were like Alexander I. They were very, very culture-type people, but very good-hearted people who cared about their people. They're good for them. But contrary to the propaganda we've been saying about those bizarre were cool and blah, blah, just I would just first say it's not true at all. They're loved by the people. But the national bankers who were setting up the economy of Vienna were outraged at Romanovs because he sank their, their plot for one more government, which they would control totally to create their whole system, which, of course, Montero would give them imaginary wealth in the world. So in any case, Romanovs sold through the plot. They sank it, which infuriated the bankers in the West, the Western powers, and they swore revenge. From the very sources, they got the revenge many years later in the Bolshevik Revolution. It was not an uprising of people. That, of course, is total nonsense. Wars are always created by vast funding, manipulation of the media, manipulation of Congresses and parliaments and whatnot to make it happen. People are brought along for the ride as very often can fodder. It really is horrifying what goes on in the world. One of my family was genocided, and the first communist state was created in Russia, quite intentionally, a total dictatorship. Another plan of the international banking cartel because they create great world governments. They create their form of government. Whether it's a Nazi state or a fascist state or a communist state or socialist or a democratic try to take over from within as they've been trying to do in America. These very powerful people are trying to create their own form of government. They've been doing it for hundreds of years. This is an early attempt. And it eventually failed, of course, and they're trying a new play to take control of Russia and create a communist state to see how they run that to totally enslave the people. Meanwhile, millions and millions of people were slaughtered by the communists, folks. Make no mistake. Social states and communist states do not have your best interests in mind. They represent themselves. The whole thing is another big scam. And if you don't believe me, read a great book called 1984 by George Orwell, published in 1948, where he described the world at that time controlled by three superpowers, in the U.S. and the Western powers, Russia and their satellites, Eastern Europe and so forth, which were given to them after World War II, another big scam and also China and their satellites. So he was talking about the world as it existed at that time. The world was controlled by these massive, massive monopolies working through the facades of governments to enslave the people and to drive them against each other, to fight against each other, to sell billions in terms of arms sales, controlled through the media, which is changed every day. The lies are changed daily, as you see going on now. The lies change every day. In any case, this is going on in Europe at those, those times. The communist state was created to see how it would work, and then now, of course, created a communist state of China. Again, a total dictatorship. We've seen communists grow around the world in various countries. The total dictatorships that are always backed up by the money. So ask yourselves, folks, where's the money come from? Always follow the money. Back in Roman times, they called it qui bono, who benefits. Who benefits from these manipulations? Always follow the money. It will tell you a lot. The money rules oftentimes the same. Today, Many politicians are ruled by those who own them. You know, many people are bought and paid for. They can't win their elections on their own. It costs too much money. Pay for the media to travel around the country. If somebody gives them money and says, okay, you do what we tell you. Do some of your own stuff, sure. But certain decisions and whatnot, certain policies, you work for us. And they know if you want to get reelected or stay in office otherwise, they have to go alone to comply with it. So monarchies in the Middle Ages, I mentioned before in the shows, were replaced by monopolies very powerful corporate monopolies, took control of nations, starting back in the Middle Ages, because 
these guys were constantly involved in wars. This is Henry VIII we mentioned, you know, in England and France and whatnot, in Spain, and in the Papal States and various uh, German states, in parts of Italy and whatnot. These countries were constantly at war. They needed money. They'd borrow money from international bankers. Back in those days, there was the Borgias, the Medicis, and whatnot. These very powerful families that acquired great wealth. There's loans to the monarchs. They get into great debt. Then the bankers say, well, you know what? You have all this debt. You owe us all these millions of bucks. I'll tell you what. We're going to give you a real deal. Let us come into your country and set up a banking system that will work for you. You don't know anything. Monarchs say, what? Really? Oh, gee, that's a great deal. Okay. And we take over the system but confiscate all the gold he had in his banks and move it out to their own banks in other countries. So, well, we're in control now. Guess what? The monarchy has been replaced by monopoly. Folks, we're talking today about mind games people play. Give some history on this, going back to the Middle Ages and up to modern times. Our new book on mind games talks about mind games people play in terms of personality disorders and so forth, psychological offenses. We're going to get some historical roots to it. So stick with us, folks. We've got more to tell you about this. We'll be back in a minute. Let's take a moment for our sponsors. Be right back. Here's a fun, stimulating program that can teach you how to develop your own powers of creation. It uses a three-part mind, stimulating approach to get you to develop your own creative thinking. It will help you create a powerful self-image and helps you see how you can take creative action. You'll develop your thinking power and your skills, and you can do this in eight days. Get Dr. Ron Dalrymple's book, Eight Days to Creative Power, on Amazon.com. Overcome your problems with the step-by-step guide. So get Eight Days to Creative Power on Amazon.com. Get high-quality glasses, sunglasses, and prescription lenses at eyeglasses.com. Choose from over 250,000 items and 400 brands. Already have frames? Get replacement lenses. It's easy. Go to our advertiser page and click eyeglasses.com. A complete mind development course. The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple helps you develop your concentration, memory, imagination, and more, all to help you program your mind towards success. But it's not a boring read. You are taken on a journey with a young man who is trying to start his own business and immerses himself into a journey of self-discovery. A powerful book that you can read again and again. Get The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple at Amazon.com. The Inner Manager at Amazon.com. Reach your health and fitness goals. Whether you want to lose weight, learn to dance, build muscle, or just live healthy, Beachbody gives you unlimited access to the nation's most popular fitness and weight loss solutions. Visit our advertiser page and click on Beachbody now. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity, things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything. And once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. HealthyLife.net, the positive radio network. Welcome back. Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Mind Shop. 
we're blowing your mind today, I think, with this history about the mind games people play, the history, you understand what's really happening behind the scenes. I mean, forget what you told in major media, largely distorted, uh, often greatly convoluted intentionally and organized across media systems to make sure that uh, the frame is set right to deceive us and what's going on behind the scenes. So in any case, monarchies, which are called dictatorships in the Middle Ages, have been replaced by monopolies, which are also dictatorships, working through financial systems, working through the corporate systems, and behind the scenes so we can't see what's going on. Now, to give more background on this, let's talk about six main forms of military deception. And this also applies to political deception. Each has its own advantages and whatnot. And some of this work comes from a lot of folks who do research on this. Of course, one is by Machiavelli, a print, one of the most famous books. Also a book called The Art of War, believe it or not. Also a book written by that title by Sun Tzu from 1200 years ago, Chinese general, The Art of War. Also some books come from Robert Greene's 33 Strategies of War, which is really a great book about what goes on behind the scenes and the ways that people buy into it. Also in our own research, and worked in the clinical field for, I guess, almost 40 years, maybe over 40 years. In the case, the first type of deception is the false front. This is the oldest form of military deception. It originally involved making the enemy think that almost weaker, in fact, they actually were. The leader might feign a retreat, say, being a trap the enemy rush into, or into an ambush. This is a favorite tactic of Sun Tzu. The appearance of weakness will bring out people with aggressive side. They see weakness, they think, so they attack, they drop all their strategy, their emotions take over, and they go on a, a very powerful, emotional, and violent attack, throwing all prudence aside. So when Napoleon found himself outnumbered, as another example of this, he's in a very vulnerable position before the Battle of Austerlitz, where he showed signs of being panicky, incisive, and scared. Here he's fake being scared. A lot of various emissaries from his enemies see this, where he's freaking out, terrified, shaking, trembling, didn't know what to do. He's put on a big act. Those enemy armies abandoned their strong position to attack him and rushed into a trap. This is his greatest victory. In the battles of daily life, people often think they're better than you are, smarter, stronger, more competent, more wise, and whatnot. And so you might let them think that, so it gives you more breathing room. So if you're in the plain mind games, I'm not saying you should do this. People often do in the corporate world, for example, let them think they're, they're ahead. You sit back and they pretend like a week. They're actually plotting behind the scenes. So they appear calm and friendly, no way to approach it. We're actually maneuvering against them. Folks play these games against the corporate world. The false fronts false they include governments, which are ruled by the big money, which are behind the scenes. Governments certainly play all kinds of games. Politicians use false fronts all the time to deceive the people. Politicians are very manipulative, we know, very devious. Now, so are lawyers as well, no offense, lawyers of answers and good ones. But some do play all kinds of games, as we know. So the false front has been used many, many times. In fact, it was used against our soldiers in Vietnam, where a couple NBA or Viet Cong would shoot at our, our troops and then run back into the jungle. And two guys, three guys might fire people. And some of our guys didn't realize what was going on, would chase after them into a trap. They set like an L-shaped trap in the jungle, and these guys get slaughtered. They wouldn't come back. If you find guys might rush into the jungle not to return. This is also used, of course, by the Cossacks, used Napoleon in Russia, where they would attack him and disappear into their, their land at night, and the French as well could not go after him because they just get killed. So the false points can use a lot of ways to see people. Another approach is the decoy attack. This is another ruse dating back to ancient times, 
where it's also the military's most common ploy used. Again, it's to a problem where if the enemy knew you were going to attack a certain point, they would set up where you would want to see them. You're going to attack point A, then attack point B to throw up the enemy, which is often used. This key to tactic, the key to tactic is, is used to you can wipe on words you use this, or it can actually be concrete action. Decoy attack is a critical strategy in daily life. You must retain the power to hide your intention. Now, this is what people tell you in the corporate world, in the world of government, that uh, to be a game player and whatnot, to be a player, you must be very manipulative and deceitful, put your facades out there. And the business world, of books are written about that, you know, about how to embrace fronts and whatnot. You can do that, but it often has disastrous results, as we can see. Now, like Pauline, for example, had a very successful life for a while, but eventually his world was a total disaster because he was following a path of narcissism and ego. And people involved in these games are often driven by the ego. So keep folks from defending the points you, don't, you want to attack, you might follow this type of model where you mislead them. You attack a decoy instead. Another approach to strategy is called camouflage, the ability to blend into the environment. That's one of the most terrifying forms of deception. In fact, the Asian armies were very adept at this. In World War II, when the U.S. troops and the Marines and Army would attack different islands, every island controlled by the Japanese used a different type of strategy of defense and offense against the invaders. So our troops would think they knew what they were doing for one island. If the next one, they get a totally different set of defensive systems and attacks to throw our people off, which gave the Japanese a great advantage. Also used in Vietnam, where they would also use camouflage. You could sneak up on people very, very close to them and would see them until the last minute. They also used tunnels and underground chambers to allow their armed people to pop up out of nowhere. And they could also use the camouflage towards anywhere. Now, Folks often talk about you can use this in the political world where you use camouflage for your real intentions, where the enemies can't see you coming until it's too late. You want to control the perception. That's what the media does today, control the public belief about various issues, you know what's going on behind the scenes. The constant manipulations are going on. And we also have all these distractors going on. So, for example, various events happen like pulling all the troops out of Afghanistan, leaving over 80 billion worth of arms there. Making deals with China and whatnot. He's now taking over the arms he left there. He's going to run the, the opening business out of Afghanistan. I think it's sort of opening the world these days, folks. I hate to tell you. But these are all types of camouflage. We have these distractor programs along, like there might be a shooting somewhere in the country, and the media obsessively follows this for weeks and weeks and weeks to keep you away from the real issues, what's going on, to distract you entirely. So the idea here is that. Camouflage is going to be able to blend into the social landscape. And other folks will tell you that you might want to mimic the behavior that you're with. You try to fit in and see you as standing outside your system. They want to see what your real goals are, if you have different goals. So players and whatnot will tell you how to manipulate the see. But they're saying this, you can also see what people are doing. So you always want to look deeper in human behavior. Just look deeper. Don't try to be a psychologist because that takes many training experience. But you try to understand people and what they're doing so you won't be taken in. Always look deeper. The social world, in fact, has been called the true battlefield of life. Because in the social world is where politics happens at its most organic level, where, believe it or not, decisions are made and influences are made, influences are made. parties and gatherings, social milieu, where you know, the influence is what happens in the political scene or the military scene in the world of politics in general. So the social world is a real battlefield. You have to know what's going on, folks, or you might be victimized. 
Another pattern is very interesting. It's called the hypnotic pattern. This is referred to by Machiavelli in his book, where human beings tend to think in terms of patterns. We all tend to think in certain patterns, and that tends to blind us. So thinking in terms of patterns is what can hold us up in life, just fixing in various ways, various belief systems, and don't see beyond them. Folks, today we're talking about mind games to play and some various historical background to it. Take a, a quick break for our sponsors. Be right back. Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Mind Shot. Stick with us. Paradise Found 2015 is a film that sparks of intrigue about the discovery of quantum field psychology. Throw in a sexy spy story, a conflict between father and son against the backdrop of NASA, and interspersed with World War II flashback combat scenes, and you'll be surprised to discover the foundation of a whole new theory of mind. Rent or buy Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com and prepare for the explosive conclusion. That's Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com. If you want USA and worldwide car rentals, choose rentacar.com. Free cancellations on most bookings, no hidden charges. They are trusted by over 4 million customers. Visit our advertiser page and click on the Rent-A-Car banner. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity. Things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything. And once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. This is Jack Maher from the band Feed the Kitty. It's important to support the artists you love. And you can do that and get something authentic for yourself. Rock.com has the most coveted, licensed merchandise of music, culture, and entertainment. So go to the advertiser page and click on Rock.com now. Quantum Field Psychology 2nd Edition is an astounding book on the new theory of mind. It is the first unified field theory that incorporates the influence of the mind and emotion on physical reality, the universe, and even other minds. It actually integrates all modern psychology with quantum physics, mathematics, Western, and Eastern spiritual beliefs. It's the true bridge between science and spirituality. Get your copy of Quantum Field Psychology, second edition, by Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Amazon.com. Radio your way. HealthyLife.net. Welcome back, Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Mind Shock. I'm going to blow your mind today with revelations about mind games people play and what goes on in the social world, the political world, the business world, corporate world, and so forth, universities. So it's good to know what people are thinking and feeling behind the scenes, what they're really doing. Now, according to Machiavelli, one pattern of manipulation is the hypnotic pattern, where we think in certain types of patterns. In fact, Hitchcock played with this a lot in his film. You know, get into subconscious mind, people think in various ways and whatnot, it will trip you up. You think you know what's going on and you don't. 
We think in certain patterns, certain ways, and we're conditioned to think. In fact, we're grown up to think in certain ways. And Machiavelli called this acclimatization, acclimatization. We deliberately create patterns to make your enemies believe that your next action will follow true to form. In other words, people expect you to do what you did before. That's why doing something different, doing something they totally don't expect, throws them off profoundly. And then once people feel you deceive them, or expect you to mislead them again, they don't think you're going to do the same thing you did before, so if you do that, there's all kinds of ways to look at that. There's levels within levels, manipulations, whatnot. It's done by the media. We have lies within lies, which are orchestrated across TV shows and films, so-called news and films. Well, news, of course, is not news. It's also just propaganda. But the people in power want you to believe. They control those networks. Now, they hire, believe it or not, psychologists and psychiatrists to pattern out this infinity of lies we're told and sold. It was very much like our friend Winston Smith in the novel 1984 by Orwell, who worked in the Department of Truth or the Ministry of Truth, which really was the Ministry of Propaganda. They reverse everything. So what you're being told on the media is the opposite of what's really going on. You listen to the very stories in the media think the opposite. In case a consistent pattern of false beliefs is created and reinforced daily to mislead and fool people. So, folks, this has been going on for, for centuries, since, actually for millennia, it's probably time began, where people learn how to play games with each other, how to manipulate and deceive and contrive and whatnot. And it's amazing what goes on. It also blends into types of unconventional warfare we cover some of the other issues later on. But there's a lot of historical examples there we're going to get into. Pretty amazing stuff that's going on throughout the history of the world. I want to talk about, though, the fact that understanding this has all been going on and people in power have been using these techniques to control and slay their populations. In fact, people have within them something far higher and far greater. So we have within us, all this do, a connection, I would argue, to a higher power. We have a higher mind within us. We've talked about it a number of times. That higher mind is really what can lead us and direct us unswervingly in life if we tune into it. The higher mind can turn into a really divine mind, much higher level, to give us information. Now, we're told, and guidance went up to that life, which is unerring. And we've been told throughout history by various churches and whatnot that uh, they're the guys who can talk to the big guy upstairs. We have to go to him, and we have, we have to go through them in order to get to him or to her. Women now say it's God's a woman. I say that God has no gender. It's really irrelevant that level of spirituality. In any case, the idea is that the churches speak for you. You must go through the churches. We'll get into next week about some of the issues that pertain here because Martin Luther, who is a monk in Germany, tacked onto the Wittenberg Castle, tacked onto the wooden door, 95 theses, which were 95 objections to the practice of the church in those days. The church would issue indulgences, which meant that they're sold to people and they're told that your time in purgatory would be much shorter. You'll go to heaven a lot faster if you pay this money and whatnot. This, of course, is total nonsense, I would argue. And in any case, Luther argued that same point, and he was persecuted and attacked and whatnot, and many of them made to destroy him. He eventually transformed the thinking of Germany and then throughout Europe and much of the world through what's called the Reformation. So like, the, like the Renaissance was talked about later on, the period of enlightenment throughout Europe where people started working on their own to attain a higher state of mind. So in any case, Games are played on many different levels, and systems try to create these rules of behavior, ways of thinking, and ways of feeling for us to manipulate us and tell us what to do, what to think, what to feel. You see happening now in America, we're told that your, your old freedoms are being confiscated. You have the freedom to worship, 
can't go to church because of COVID-19, but you can go to a strip joint or to a liquor store or whatever, a bar. Those are open. But anything having to do with higher conscience, of course, is being prescribed against. In any case, you can't just go into infinity. We need to see beyond that because we have within us the power to guide our own lives, power to make our own decisions. You don't need to be controlled by any type of outside force. That the mind games have played all kinds of levels throughout life. The international level, the national level, played, like I said, everywhere. We play mind games all the time. And the highest levels are often playing, like I said, at the grand master level, where you're thinking ahead moves. You're often very good at playing. Thinking ahead 20 moves for 10 dimensions. That's what Alexander and Napoleon did, but it wasn't quite enough. Napoleon was defeated and outsmarted later on by Metternich and by others. So everybody has blind spots and weaknesses. We all have blind spots and weaknesses. But the goal, like I say, is not to try to exploit other people or gain over them. To realize you have within you a vast wealth of talent and ability. That's the ancient legend of talents, where one, one servant was given one talent, another was given five, another was given ten. The guy was given ten. A year later, he produced ten more. And so his master said, well done, okay, for sure. I'll give you much more wealth well-being. So he did. He got much back from that. The other guy had five talents. He was now in death of death. five more back from that. And I said, well done, faithful servant. You've done well. Here's great more wealth for you. More for you to rule over. The last one taking his talent buried in the ground so it wouldn't be lost. And then Nash said, oh, oh foolish servant, I'll take away that, that one talent from you because you've done is, is evil or is wrong. And it's wrong thinking, evil means error thinking, brilliant thinking. So the point is that we have talents within us. We must tap into those and bring those forth. Many of you out there might have talents as a writer, a musician, an artist, some, a great public speaker, a mathematician, but you haven't tapped into that yet. Maybe you're a great musician. Maybe you're a great guitar player like Eric Clapton. You haven't tapped into it. And many folks lead lives of quiet desperation and don't tap into the real talents within. But we have those talents. We must awaken to that and realize we have greatness within us. We don't need to be led by these false governments. We don't need these big dictatorial states. This is nonsense controlled by small groups of very rich and powerful people who got rich by vast corruption, often by murder, genocide, manipulation, deceit, you name it. So what we need to do is realize we have the power within us. The people have the power. You can create a world where all people realize, as many as possible, that these powers within us and teach it to our children that they, they, they're free, independent, they can be self-resourceful, they can create their own lives to a very high degree. You don't need to be enslaved by these governments, by universities, or religions who often lie to us and mislead us because the temptations of power are very great to the ego. We need to transcend the ego because we're far more than just this lower consciousness, ego mind focused on the world of fear. And fear is a great enemy. If you have fear within you, we must work on resolving the fear, releasing the fear, replace it with love. Love is a very powerful force. All other emotions crumble and are dissolved by love. Pure spiritual love, the love for all people at all times, is a great solvent for everything else. In other words, other forces bounce off of you. You have pure love within your heart. It's your great strength. The greatest strength is not physical strength or the strength of warriors or the strength of armies and battles, but the strength of pure love. Pure spiritual love, realizing you have within you spiritual powers, you can awaken within. We talked last week to a really interesting guy, Michael Goddard, about a new now talking about the idea we all have these powers within us, let's bring these forth into the world. And when we do, when enough folks around the world do this, it creates a curse map effect. The world finally wakes up to a higher level and you can throw off these living aspects of these dictators, these weird big dictators, these self-imposed emperors and all this nonsense. Just ego trips people get into. 
and you can suck her in a lot of people in the public. They have charisma and a good story. There's media working for them. They can cause all kinds of chaos. Well, think of all the people killed in all the wars in the last several hundred years alone. And millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people slaughtered in wars, needless, endless, idiotic wars, led by narcissistic egos on their own power trips, which you see today. You see some rulers today who want massive power, and they're very narcissistic, constantly bragging about themselves or lying to us one way or another, all about their egos. Well, that's pure nonsense. You get beyond the illusions of ego. So, folks, check out our books. we got... This uh, one book on our website, www.drrondownapple2.com, My Games People Play. Also a bunch of other books we talked about. I know somebody asked to you about that. Check out our film, The Endless Question, which is a two-hour documentary on Amazon Prime, which gets into these issues and tells you more about it. You're welcome to check those out. Contact us through Facebook or through some other media links and whatnot. Let us know what you think. And we'll be back next week with more information about these issues. We want to help folks understand My Games People Play to have universally around the world, and there's something much clearer within us where we don't need to play games, we don't need to be enslaved by those who do. So, folks, thanks for being with us today. We love you all. Dr. Ron Dow Rempel on Mind Shock. Talk to you next time.